Blog Talk Radio. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You've heard about it. You've read about it. You've talked about it. And now, you've found it. This is Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio, the largest radio social network in the world. With your host, Alan Smith, a veteran of OTR trucking, business entrepreneur, and the most recognized name for assisting CDL students and new graduates. It's time to shut down that big rig. Sit back and come join the conversation. Truth About Trucking Live begins right now. All right. Yes, here we are, and welcome back to our show. Today is Thursday, July 26, 2012. Uh, Top trucking news stories happening this week include the controversial debate between the ATA, OIDA, and the FMCSA concerning the injustices against truckers and small trucking firms relating to the CSA. And Ann Farrell, administrator for the FMCSA, uh, returned comment by saying that although CSA has tremendous benefits, it's not perfect. So the battle continues on there. Uh, other news, four higher truck tonnage index increased 1.2% last month after falling uh, 1% in May. So June's increase was the biggest month-to-month gain in 2012. However, there's still concern about businesses sitting on cash and not hiring more employees or spending on equipment because of worries over the European financial uh, status and the U.S. fiscal crisis at the end of the year. And uh, the Truckload Carriers Association reports that the industry is currently short 200,000 drivers, and CNN jumps in there reporting that although uh, truck driver openings are available, nobody wants to drive a truck. And the reasons cited include uh, difficulty in getting certified, um, inability to adjust to the lifestyle, and the cost of CDL training. Uh, which is now averaging, they say, between $4,000 and $6,000. But CDL students continue, however, to still be pulled in uh, by uh, uh, exaggerated claims and ads which have the appearance of being the norm, such as quoting a driver of 40 years who earns $300,000 gross per year, netting $150,000. But they don't expand so much on the fact that this driver runs constantly throughout the year living in his sleeper. And so as for hire are still claiming that truckers earn a median annual wage of $37,930, which is 4000 more than the median wage for all jobs, they say, and that the top 10% of truck drivers make over 58000 per year. So even with these uh, claims such as this th- being thrown out there, more educated and savvy would-be truckers uh, – just aren't falling for it, so it seems. But anyway, thanks for tuning in to the show this evening for another go-around of Trucking Roundtable Open Forum. And, uh, of course, uh, Donna joins me as well, as always. And let's uh, 
Let's welcome her back in. She hasn't been feeling too well the last couple of days. I think she's feeling a little bit better this evening, but uh, let's give her a good welcome, bring her back in here. There you go. Hopefully she'll be feeling a little bit better tonight. All right. There's your welcome, Donna. You're back on the air. Are you feeling any better? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing much better and uh just just hanging out and I'm gonna enjoy the show. That's my plans for tonight. Well you got your coffee in there? Uh yeah, I got my cup of coffee and I got uh my ice water, so I'm good to go. <laughs> all right. Well that's what we will do and we'll see where it all leads us this evening. Our number three four seven eight two six. 9170 if you'd like to come in on the conversation. So quick break, and we'll get started this evening right here on Truth About Trucking Live. Be right back. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Truth About Trucking Live on Blog Talk Radio. I hear from a lot of newcomers to the industry who still have that entrepreneur spirit that has made the United States of America the great country that she is. And many of them still have one goal in mind, and that is to someday have their own rig and become an owner-operator. Truth About Trucking Live is all about providing honest, reliable information about the OTR trucking industry, especially for those just beginning their truck driving careers. Running your own trucking business is part of the entrepreneurial spirit that has kept America moving since truck were first used by the military in World War One. If you're considering starting your own owner-off business, there's only one name that you need to know, Lone Mountain Truck Leasing. LoneMountainTruck.com offers the best lease purchase plans in the industry. There's no huge balloon payment at the end, and when you make that final monthly payment, they hand over the title, the truck is yours. They require a very reasonable down payment, and the monthly payments are kept at an affordable $1,000 per month and sometimes even less. A great inventory to choose from, including Peterbilts, Volvos, Internationals, and Freightliners, and all of their trucks are mechanically checked out, dependable, and ready to go to work. And unlike trucking company leases, if you choose to change motor carriers, the truck goes with you. It's your truck. Check them out at LoneMountainTruck.com or give them a call toll-free, 866-512-5685. LoneMountainTruck.com, the honest guys for the sweet lease deals. LoneMountainTruck.com. Man, it's crowded tonight. Care if I join you? Sure, have a seat. Sorry about the paperwork. <laughs> Name's Cole. Appreciate it. I'm Harlan, by the way. Here's a fill-up for you guys. Thanks, honey. Harlan, you look hungry. What can I get you? I'll have a Coke and whatever he's having. Back in a bit. What are you doing with all this paperwork, driver? Looks like you're tripping over your trip sheets. want to get a jump on these taxes before they jump me. There is a better way to manage your trucking paperwork. With TripSheetCentral.com, you're a login away from tracking every aspect of your business. TripSheetCentral.com organizes your information easily so you can see how your business is performing. That sounds easy. And it's fast. Time-consuming paperwork is eliminated with a low-cost monthly subscription. I no longer have to worry about invoices, settlement reports, or fuel tax returns. TripSheetCentral.com does that for me. Manage your business information securely with TripSheet Central. Visit TripSheetCentral.com at your next stop. This is Truth About Trucking Live with Alan Smith. 
To be a part of the program, call in now at 347-826-9170. Skype users can call in by clicking on the Skype button on our show page. To be a sponsor of the show, email Donna at info at truthabouttrucking.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's see here. I was just checking out all the lines. Phone lines are filling up. I got a few hands up. Let me check this one here. Uh, let's see. All right, there's that one there. And all right, phone lines are filling up. We've got some hands up, ready to talk. And uh, Donna, I guess this open forum. We should just go right to the phones, huh? Well, um, I know there was a couple of, a couple of people that were going to call in tonight. I know um, Glendon was going to call in uh, as we talk about the rising cost of fuels and what we can do to, uh, you know, reduce that. I know Dan Matuli of Transport Watch was going to call in with that article. What was that article, Alan? George, the Georgia woman. Do you uh, have it with you? Yeah, about the. Uh uh, freight brokerage fraud, and uh, yeah, I see Dan on there. In fact, he was the uh, one up there. We have a caller from Tennessee. We'll get to you, and we have Minnesota, Colorado, uh, Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, others. I haven't looked yet, but they're filling up. So let's just go. You want to just let's just go right to it. I know. Uh, yeah, I know Dan has a few appointments, and uh, anyway, okay, yeah, because I know a lot of people were interested in this uh, freight broker. Uh, Okay, well, we'll just, I'll take them in the order they came, they, the hands popped up, and Dan was the first one, so uh, bring him up here. So, uh, Dan Matuli, um, out of Montana, you're on the air, I believe. Hello, yeah, Alan and Donna. Hey, how you doing? It's nice to talk to you again. I do just have a little bit of time here this evening, but I wanted to kind of address this this uh, issue regarding the Georgia gal that's, that was... Uh, Finally caught in the double brokering scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm afraid there's not a whole lot of information in here to indicate that this that this gal was uh, ever at any point actually a broker, um, and that she that she actually had um, been bonded or or had an actual authority, or if she was just uh, practicing a, a uh, if this was just a case of identity theft. Yeah, I think it was. Because I mean that's you know this is a problem that's going to get a lot that's going to get a lot worse here real quick and uh, it's it's going to be exacerbated by the the fact that they just passed a transportation bill that's going to increase the the freight broker bond to seventy five thousand bucks the people that that are the true criminals in the in the market they don't care one little bit about a bond. Um, uh, and I think what's going to happen here is when when you close the door on so many people that um, maybe could have gotten a bond and gotten gotten in in, a, in an honest way, God, you, you just got to wonder if that wouldn't tip a few of them over into doing what this gal did. And this is she's not uh, she's not alone. This happens pretty often nowadays. Yeah. Did you uh, did you read the uh, investigation report from the Office of Inspector General? Did you have that printed out and read read that? Yeah, I've got that in front of me. Yeah, I do and, too. Uh, so I think I think you're right on the identity theft. I think she just led them to believe that uh, she had her broker authority with the FMCSA. 
Well, how do they get away with that? Isn't there, like, don't people ask? Hi, hi, Dan. This is Donna. This I mean, don't people are pretty slick. If they're willing to, I mean, if they're truly criminals, uh, if they are of a mind, of a criminal mind enough to do this kind of thing, they're pretty slick. And, they, you know, the the broker bond, again, the increase in the broker bond isn't going to do anything to stop these folks. Uh, in my mind, the only thing that, that is going to stop these folks is to get the word out there about them and to get it out there consistently and and industry-wide. Well, you know, let me just read here real quick because I had a question here for you. I mean, she, she uh, uh, well, let's see, she was, um, she led the sender to believe her trucking business would deliver the freight for the contracted price, and the sender of the freight would send her payment at the agreed-upon price. However, after accepting the bid, she would immediately re-advertise a job through the Internet using a different company name. She accepted bids from legitimate trucking companies and had them deliver the freight from the sender to the intended destination, never disclosing that she had arranged for the sender to send payment to her. Now, wouldn't explain how that can work because wouldn't the shipper notice that a, a different company showed up to pick up the freight? You know, I'm going to assume that this gal had presented herself as a broker and that she came on there and she said, yep, I'll find you a truck. And, you know, so she finds them a truck and the truck sends the bill to them. Um, You know, for all intents and purposes, a lot of times this won't happen with the shipper. This will happen with a broker. This gal would have called a broker and she would have presented herself as a representative of the trucking company. Okay, she would have uh, she would have secured the the freight from the broker. Okay, say say they were going to haul the load of a thousand dollars. Okay, then she's going to turn around and she's going to hire a carrier. She's going to tell the carrier that she'll pay them two thousand dollars to haul that freight. Well, the carrier says, well, that's a pretty good price. I'll go ahead and haul that. She can say whatever she wants. She can say she, she's going to pay him, you know, ten thousand dollars on it because she has no intention of paying the carrier in the end, anyways. So what the carrier does is they go and they haul the freight, thinking that everything is okay, and then they turn in the paperwork to this person, this this gal in Donaldson, Georgia. She turns it into the original broker. The broker pays her. She takes off, and never pays the broker and then she you know maybe she has gotten a magic jack phone line to get this thing started and et cetera, et cetera. she's she's like a, a you know dust in the wind at that point and and uh very difficult to catch so this is how this all comes about so no one along the chain of command uh follows through to investigate that this gal is who she says i think that is there's the rub i think that's where you have to practice due diligence and i think that's where you know my uh, programs like mine will come into play where if a if a brokerage wants to come in and enter their information on the site and say these are the people that are that are qualified or that are authorized to work under the uh, the, the umbrella of my authority you know they can list all those agents that are authorized a trucking company can do the very same thing these well, are the people that are authorized to dispatch for my trucks. And, you know, a person could go in there and they could check that ahead. 
unfortunately that's not that kind of thing has not been available in the industry up to this point and it's and and there are some companies out there that do perform due diligence when i have a when i have an agent that calls in for a specific company and i'm not familiar with that agent the information that i've got in my system is different i will go and i will call the main office of the of that company and i will say does this person work for you Okay, that is that is my due diligence in making sure that the person that I'm talking to is not double brokering me. Uh, this kind of thing happens to brokers all the time. Well, I have two things that I just want to say. Number one, the $75,000 bond is, isn't going to do anything against this. That's number one. I think we all agree on that. Um, number two, for those who are listening... Um, you want to just share a little bit about uh, Transport Watch and how uh, this type of behavior um, can be eliminated if people use this uh, this service. Uh, it, you know, Transport Watch was was built with an idea with the, the idea that everybody can can come in and help to protect each other. Okay, and and hold each other accountable in this industry. The, the only way that we can stop these kinds of things is to things from happening is to is to communicate with each other, and this gives you an opportunity to do that. It's it's something that if you are going in and you want to check on somebody, uh, you're going to be able to go in and, and find a lot of information in there, and it's not going to try. You know, it's not going to cost you to go in and find out about companies that have been reported on. Um, you know, if you want, if you want to join the site, you can take, and um, you can you can report on companies, and you can also get you know a a full page uh, web ad that can describe exactly what your niche is in the industry. So it helps you get the word out about what you do, and it helps you it helps you get the word back about what people have been doing to other companies. And it's these adverti- this advertising that you get on the site is is not weighted by the amount of dollars you have in your pocket. If if uh, Landstar wants to op- wants to advertise on there, their ad is gonna is going to be no better than yours if you are Bob's backcountry uh, liquid hauling, you know, or whatever it is that you happen to do. It, um, you have the ability to make just as good an ad on the site as they do, and you also have the ability to go in and, and check to make sure that the people that you're going to be doing business with are on the up and up, and, uh, you know, it's and, and maybe help keep not only yourself safe but the other guys that are out there on the road. Yeah, that's, that's an important fact about transportwatch.com that I like to point out, and I don't know if a, a lot of people get it, but, I mean, you also help to fight fraud in the industry, but transportwatch.com is also um, uh, a great tool for promoting your trucking business. So it has a lot of, I mean, you know, you get somebody just starting out and nobody knows they're there, it it would be a great way for them to promote their uh, business, um, you know, across the web and everywhere else, right? That's correct. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you, I've been a broker for 16 years, and, um, uh, I'm an honest guy. I've I've never taken advantage of anybody. I've been in and I've been in spots where I've needed to find a carrier to to haul a specific type of material in a specific lane, and I've gone to things like Big Book and such, and and it's all it's next to impossible 
to find the person you are looking for in, in a format such as that. In this format, you know, people can go in and, and say they're looking for they're looking for a guy that does refrigerated from this point to this point. And they can go in there and they can type in that information and your name will pop up if if that's if that's what your niche is and it's and it's limited only by that amount of information that you provide on the site. So it's it it all depends on on how much you're willing to tell about yourself. All right. Well, sounds good. I know you got to run. I, I mean, I, I, I do. I, my son wants to go see a, a, the Red Green show this evening, so I need well, to go get after and, it and take him to Missoula. All right. Well, appreciate you calling in, and good to hear from you again. I look okay, forward to seeing you in October, Dan. Yep, we will see you in October. Okay. Thank you very All much. Right. Uh-huh. Thanks again. That, that was uh, Dan Matulli. Uh, Dan Matulli or Dan, Ma- yeah, Dan Matulli of uh, TransportWatch.com. It uh, helps to uh, fight fraud in the industry, but also a great way to uh, promote uh, your trucking business. So, got more hands up. We're just going to keep rolling. Tennessee next, and then we'll go to Massachusetts. So, hang hang on with us. So, we'll jump in here to great state of Tennessee, area code six one five. Welcome to the show. Hey, Alan, this is Ricky Gooch. Oh, oh, hey. How you doing? Haven't heard from haven't heard from you in a while. How you doing? Oh, good. On the road. Uh, I sure you don't hear from me much. It's, it's hard to get on the Internet and on the phone when you're driving down the road every day and night. Uh, yeah, well, you know you're not supposed to do that anyway, so. <laughs> well, you, well, you made it I've now. Got I've got a driver, so, you know, <laughs> he's driving and I'm talking, so. Uh, Anyway, I was going to make a comment about that transport watch. That, that sounds like a, a pretty good thing. But if anybody gets caught up in that uh, and they get uh, taken advantage of by somebody, there's a there's a company located in Nashville, Tennessee, um, called Kroll, K-R-O-L-L International. And they are the number one company in the world as far as finding these deadbeat people that, that uh, take people's money. Um, they've worked for, with our company, which is Legal Shield, for several years, and uh, they're great, and they're not that expensive. Uh, uh, it's not like going and, and hiring a lawyer and having to spend tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, uh, you can actually go there and, and sometimes spend less than $1,000 and, and uh, run those people down. Um well, that's good to know because that's that's not really, I don't believe, um, uh, so much what uh, TransportWatch.com does. So uh, and you said it's, it's K-R-O-L-L? Yeah, K-R-O-L-L International. And uh, they're, they're an old company. Uh, uh, it's all ex-CIA, Secret Service, FBI people who work there. And uh, that is who every government in the world, when they uh, are trying to find money, Somewhere that's who they hire is Crow International. So, uh, so they'll go after yeah. these people like this Georgia woman who uh, did this double brokering scheme, huh? Oh yeah, they they can find out everything about her. Usually, you know, within a day or so, they they've got them trapped. If if they get on the internet, uh, they can they can trace they can trace people anywhere in the world. It's amazing what they can do. Uh, but I just thought that might help somebody out there that's fell into that situation. 
Um, I was also reading my transport topics a minute ago, and they were saying that there's a big fuel shortage in Michigan right now, that the uh, oil and gas pipeline that comes into Michigan was shut down for some reason, and they have now uh, lifted the HOS rule in Michigan so that these trucks can keep uh, moving and not uh, be setting and running. Yeah, they'll they'll do that here in Florida too. When we have a hurricane, they'll they'll throw those HOS rules right out the door. I hadn't, uh, of course, I haven't been on the news much today, but I hadn't heard that. So something about the pipeline up there shutting down, maybe for repairs or something, huh? Yeah, something. The, the pipeline that comes out of Wisconsin that feeds feeds that area, that Upper Peninsula area. Uh, they they're not getting any fuel at all, so they they have an emergency situation going on there. Uh, so I thought huh. people might want to know that before they head up that way. They better haul some gas with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. Well, give out a uh, give out what what website you uh, want everybody to to know about. Um, uh, a good website for us is is uh, com and it's backslash hub you. B and backslash Ricky R I C K E Y Gooch G O O C H and uh, we do things like identity theft protection and legal protection for drivers all over America and in Canada too. So uh, yeah, I'd be glad to hear from anybody and help them out uh, if we can. Um, it's good talking to you guys. I, I, I watch what you're doing all the time. Uh, Great radio show, great great uh, production, Donna, wonderful. Uh, look forward to seeing you guys, uh, Kansas City. Oh, absolutely! I, I we've got quite a lineup coming. Uh, you know, the the uh, registrations are coming in, and I tell you, it's it's going to be awesome. I, I'm getting so excited, Ricky. Great, great. I'm glad to hear that. The first one was really good. People that missed it, you know, I tell people all the time they should lock their door and go down there and have a couple of days relaxation. Learn some well, information. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's going to be good. I mean, I, I mean, that's my opinion. I think it's going to be better than last year. So, uh, and last year I think was really pretty, pretty awesome. So, um, we're just all excited about it and I'm glad you're going to be there again. Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. All right. All right. Bye. Thank- Thanks, Ricky. Appreciate it. Um, uh, yeah, good guy there. Uh, does a lot of helps a lot of drivers and uh, of LegalShield.com, and uh, you can go back to the archive to catch his whole thing to get a hold of him. And let's just keep on rolling here. We'll jump to uh, area code six one seven up there in uh, Massachusetts. So oh, go ahead. You. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank oh, thank you very much. Uh, my my name is Jeff from Chelsea, Massachusetts, also known as Caveman Seventy, and uh, I'll I'll share I'll share briefly my background. I have a Class B license. I got that a long time ago. Very difficult test, and, and this this is under the new regulations way back then. So difficult test, and um, I do security now because I'm telling you, if you're non-unionized. Forget about it. I mean, you, you just you just don't make the kind of bread that that you would if you were unionized. But uh, here's here, oh, here's here's my question because because this program is geared towards truck drivers. Um, how 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 much food 
has to, I'll ask a couple of questions. How much food has to be transported to the northeast, particularly the Massachusetts area, compared to other areas of the country? And, and second, um, what, what, what states would, would be right-to-work states where it's not so, so unionized? We have to know political hack in, in order to make a living. Um, okay, Donna, can you? I, I'm having trouble to hear. Can you? I, I, you know what? I'm really sorry. I couldn't. I couldn't hear I'll, you. I'll, I'll try that again. Uh, two, okay. Two, uh, two questions. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, two two questions. Um, how how much? I mean, uh, how 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 much? Um, uh, how um, how much of the food has to be transported? To, to to the northeast, particularly Massachusetts, and um, and uh, what what states are right to work states that are not so unionized? Those those are my two simple questions because I, I I believe that most of the stuff in Massachusetts is shipped in from other areas. And if the truckers decide to go on strike, my state's pretty much screwed. And 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 the right to work state states. Well, well, that's obvious because Massachusetts really has a lock on in unions. We have to know political hack in order to 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 well, to, to the, uh, all these things. Well, how much food needs to be transported to Massachusetts? I have no idea. Uh, I don't really understand that question. But the the union, I think you've called us before uh, on this union thing, and I don't know if uh, uh, the 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 state being unionized is, is such a big deal. I mean, there's. Uh, I mean, the the largest majority of trucking companies aren't union anyway. I mean, if when you're getting into union with trucking companies, you're talking about a uh, UPS and FedEx and Yellow Freight and those things. But the 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 large majority of all trucking companies aren't aren't union anyway. Oh, oh, oh yes, but but the first question was was the main question about about food getting transported to Massachusetts and the Northeast and so forth. How how much of it is dependent particularly agricultural stuff because I, I I believe if the truckers ever decided to go on some kind of strike, uh, we would starve up here. But and oh, you mean I, so? So how much of the food being transported by truck to the northeast, specifically Massachusetts, is controlled by the union? No, 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 no. By how much of it just has to be shipped compared to, to like let's say Massachusetts growing its own food compared to having it shipped from other places like like South and Midwest? That's my main question. The I would have no idea. I would have no idea. Would you, Donna? Well, I mean. <clears throat> I don't know. And you you mean how sustainable is Massachusetts? Yeah. Uh, that's really the question. Yeah. Yes. That, um, that, that, that is the main question. You you well, uh, uh you know, do they grow their own food? Do they have wheat? Do they have, you know, I mean, I, I don't think they would be very sustainable being up in the northeast. I mean, I'm just thinking I would think people in the in the Midwest would would be more so, but I don't think any any state really uh could be on its own i mean look at the the medicine and i mean alan you wrote a post about everything that that we all depend on uh from a truck so i guess you know if people started having little gardens and and you know raising rabbits and (laughs) well no i think uh, i think we're getting a little wild here no i don't I don't I don't think there's any worry uh worry about that at all. So uh Illinois, let's jump over to Illinois, area code 
815. Welcome to the show. Yes, Alan. Yeah. Dave Noss, Alan, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Been a while, and you might not remember my name, and uh, you and I uh, did a little back and forth uh, some time back, so I thought I'd give a call today. I was invited over by Ricky Gooch, and I thought I'd... Yeah, how are you? Hi, hi, Dave. This is Donna. Um, I did recognize your name, and I was wondering, you are associated with Ricky, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm associated with Ricky, and uh, actually what, I, what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm, uh, I got involved uh, with uh, helping the trucking industry with their uh, fuel expenses and maintenance expenses. And uh, I guess uh, I would probably start uh, by asking you guys, uh, you know, how do you feel about what's going on out there with fuel prices? Where do you think uh, the industry is headed in general? Uh, is uh, diesel going to be around uh, for quite a while yet? So I guess I would uh, throw those questions out to you guys. How do you feel about that? Uh, well, yeah, diesel's going to be around for quite a while. I mean, you know, I think they're looking into, uh, you know, I always hear this talk about, you know, oh, 15, 20 years from now we're all going to propane. But um, Well, I know uh, Navistar has a big thing, and they're one of our um, gold sponsors. And uh, they've got a, a big thing with um, the natural gas. Oh, I meant natural gas. And yeah. And they're I think they hooked up even with um, T Boone Pickens. Um, I, I know everybody's you know really wondering about this, and I, I'm sure a lot of people are going to grab them at the convention and want to know you know what's going on with that. But um, you know I don't think that's going to be an overnight thing, right, Alan? I'm no, that's what I was trying to say. You know, that's maybe you know ten, fifteen, twenty years down the road. And you know I don't think I don't I don't personally see us ever. Uh, getting totally away from fossil fuels, I think it would just be impossible. But you know, who knows what the future can bring? And uh, but you know, if they start putting that into trucks and making it more available, you know, probably so. But you know, I don't see a future without fossil fuels. I have to agree with you guys quite a bit. There's a lot, a uh, lot of going down, you know, uh, going on with the government mandates too, uh, as far as. Uh, using the DEF for the SCR systems and trying to get folks to, to use the urea-based uh, uh, type of, of additive for that to control emissions, so on and so forth. they got a lot of problems there. Uh, well, I say, well, there's problems all over when, when emissions are bad, but on the West Coast, uh, you know, they're con- uh, always concerned about the forest over there, Any, anything that has uh, sulfur in it. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, you guys know anything about what's going on with that? Uh, with the sulfur? Well, sulfur and any based uh, additives or anything like that that uh, industries have to be watching out for when they uh, add anything to their fuels, that sort of thing. I haven't he- heard about that. I mean, I know there's a ton of uh, additives out there. Every time you turn around, there's a new one popping up. And you really almost have to, you know, you know, look at the ingredients and everything. Um, I know there's a really few good ones that are, you know, a lot of people swear by. But I wasn't. Alan, were you aware of, you know, watching out for the additives? I mean, this isn't a topic that, you know, we really get heavy into, although Alan has tested a few. And I know there's um, Glendon's on the line tonight. He's got uh, some kind of um, a kit 
that he has made available that's supposed to uh, increase fuel mileage by up to 25%, and I hope he's going to call in tonight also. But um, anyway, I'm just not familiar with it. Are you out? Uh, well, I mean, I hear little bits and pieces about it. You know, I, ju- I just think it all boils down to, you know, the biggest problem is the EPA that keeps throwing, you know, getting these regulations thrown at us. I mean, personally, I think, like you were talking about DEF, um, the DEF, yeah, I, frankly, I don't see any purpose in DEF. It, it, I, I drive a truck now that I have to keep putting it in, and, and I think it's just a total waste of time and, and personally, frankly, totally meaningless. And I think it all boils down to just constant over-regulations that, that's, that's largely being pushed by the EPA, which is uh, most often just completely senseless. I hear it does. Uh, I hear it doesn't do a lot for the freezing point, uh, Alan. Is, uh, have you any, heard anything about that? That uh, you know, because because there's a, like a water that gets mixed uh, into um, with ammonia from that particular component. That you know, the uh, the freezing point is like uh, 11 degrees or something like that, and uh, that can't be doing uh, you know doing anybody any good in in the winter. You know, especially in uh, colder temperatures. Oh, I, I think I, th- I think DEF is just total waste of time, and and I, I I just I personally, and this is just my view, I see no purpose in it. I mean, it just, it you know, it turns it around and throws it back into the air as water vapor. But uh, I think it's just one of those things that came out to be a regulation that is just continues to overregulate the industry and drivers. And you know, that's just my my personal opinion. You know, I'm I'm not an expert on on fuel and additives and all that good stuff, but uh, just what I have to deal with every day with it, I, I just I just don't see any purpose in it myself. Right. Well, I think, uh, you know, the, uh, what I got involved in is with a, with a multifunctional fuel enhancer, and uh, the only reason why I got involved with it is because uh, somebody introduced it to me. I was in trucking. I was with a, a manager for Roadway for 20 years, and been in and out of the trucking scene, doing all kinds of different things, still doing it now, obviously. And somebody introduced a a product called XP3 uh, with a company called Fuel Direct. So I took a look at it a little bit. I thought I was just going to network with this person a little bit. But then I started taking a close look at it and got some of it and threw it in my own van to see how it was going to work. And, uh, you know, with with, uh, doing that, I'm getting about five more miles to the gallon than my baseline now. So then I called a trucking company that was using it and got a little feedback from that person. Uh, they pretty much were, were telling me about the different things it was doing for them, uh, increasing uh, an extra mile or two uh, on their trips uh, over the road in the city, reducing their maintenance fees significantly and uh, those sorts of things. And then after doing all that kind of research and and getting those kinds of experiences myself, uh, I decided to uh, become active with it. And so I've been doing it for a little while here, and uh, basically it's a product that nobody knows about here and hasn't known about uh, in the United States because it was developed 23 years ago by XP Labs on the uh, West Coast, and it was just uh, basically developed to increase uh, performance extend engine life and that sort of thing and then of course when you got that combination then you're you're going to extend your hours on uh, machines uh, like uh, heavy equipment like in mines in the mining industry 
And uh, as far as trucks, then they, uh, all of a sudden they're seeing a little bit more on the uh, miles per gallon because of a more efficient engine. So uh, Fuel Direct took a look at this uh, about two years ago and uh, went uh, on board with these folks and got the exclusive rights to market this product here in the United States and Canada. They're also in the Philippines, the UK, and Northern Ireland. Now, the only thing is, what is it? Is it snake oil? Is it just like all the others? I mean, that's typically what what you run into out there, and you can't blame right. a lot. Of, you can't blame a lot of these folks because, uh, and I understand because I do live demonstrations, and I'll take all the well-known additives, and I'll have them lined up next to ours, and I'll do a simple burn test, and I'll do a water uh, dispersion test. And I'll simply uh, pour a little bit of all the products in a test tube, and I'll light them on fire, the ones that say they're supposed to clean up the engine. And when you light them up, they're smoking like crazy. When you light up XP3, it's a completely clean burn, no smoke. Pour a little water in those to see if it's going to do anything. Is it going to disperse water? If it's supposed to do something to keep the water out of your system, then you would expect it to do something when you pour the water in with the additive. Well, all they do is you'll see a clear line of separation, and nothing really ever happens. Uh, When you pour water in an XV3, even before you mix it, it's totally dispersed. Then I'll take a water-finding paste, and I'll put it in all those tubes, and it usually turns red if there's water in it. Right. Well, they're all, they're all turning red, except for XB3. And then I'll take another Q-tip, I'll dip it in there, and I'll burn them all again. And all the ones uh, that haven't been performing, when I light them up, they're spitting, just like a little sparkler that a kid would have, you know. They're spitting because the water was never uh, uh, dispersed, and they're smoking like crazy. XB3, again, clean completely clean burn, no spitting at all. Then okay, take, well, what's the uh, okay? This is beginning to sound like a long, long advertisement here. What's the what's right. the name of what's the name of the website here? Uh, well, what I usually do, the website is more of a buy site, so it really just tells a little bit about it. So what uh-huh. I usually do is I just have folks uh, contact me directly because I have all the data on it, you know, okay. all, the, all the specific data and any information they want. And then I can coach them through and educate them a little more on it. And how, so they, just, how do they how do they contact well, you? Well, they just probably email me or call me. So they can email me at uh, David A. Noss, and that's N A U S at Gmail dot com. It's David A. Noss N A U S at Gmail dot com, or call me at six three zero six three nine six zero zero nine. Okay, yeah, I think the biggest thing with all these additives is, you know, they they get so bom- truckers get so bombarded with fuel additives, they just don't know which way to turn. But but uh, what was your first name again? Uh, Dave, Dave Noss. Dave, okay, hang on the line with us because we have uh, Glendon Brewster uh, out of Texas on the line, and he's sure. with he's with EconoKitTexas.com. Uh, not an additive, but a kit that, I, if I have it right, a kit that you can put on the engine 
And so, and he he, he might be a more. I'm, I'm sure he's more of an expert than I am with all this fuel stuff. So, uh, mm-hmm. let's get a conversation going with you guys and see what uh what Glendon can uh can provide for us. And and Dave, your line's open as well. So, uh, sure. uh Glendon. Uh, out of Texas. Welcome to the show. Go ahead. Uh, hello, Alan. Hello, Donna. And hello, Mr. Noss. How are you? Good. How are you, sir? Doing Very great. Good. Hi, uh, well, I, I would say, Alan, that I'm I'm not an expert on fuel additives. Uh, like you say. Well, you're better than I am. The, the truckers are just crazy. Uh, if you say fuel additive, they want to fight because there's been thousands of them. Now, XV3 sounds really interesting. So, uh, I'm not going to, like, you know, throw rocks or stones at any of those. I would just say that the Econo Kit is actually an aftermarket kit that you put on and works on the premises of humid air. Uh, and so it is actually extracting a small amount of humid air, putting it through a convector reactor, and then introducing it into the uh, intake manifold. So it never mixes with the fuel until it actually goes into the intake. And at that point, it creates very similar to what Mr. Noss was talking about, a very clean burn. Uh, so your your uh, diesel uh, particulates, like on the West Coast, they're, they're just complaining so badly, and that's where the EPA and California Air Review Board have done all kinds of things and filters and urea baths and just crazy stuff to try to take these particulates out of the air when the real answer is, like Mr. Noss was saying, is if you get a really clean burn and don't ever have those particulates. Well, I wanted to ask a question to to you, Glendon. Um, If someone had an additive uh, in their tank plus had your kit, um, oh, that's where I was going too. Where you were going? That's Absolutely. the first thing. Would that even in, increase uh, the performance? It of would both? even do. It would increase the form, performance dramatically. Okay. Uh, assuming, assuming number one that the additive works, and we're just going to say that if that's a given, then it's going to it's going to add on top of that. Well, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know because. Uh, I'm all, you know, I'm all about everybody out here, and and and, and all these things are really good. And Glenn, and you know, I, I'm very very interested in what you're doing with that, because I think uh, we all have to look at all kinds of things that are going to help in this area. And uh, I have, you know, talked with other people uh, that have different external devices with that same interest uh, in mind, because uh, everybody's does a little something. And ours is like a multifunctional product, so it will set up and lubricate the upper chamber. It's also an anti-gel. It will atomize the fuel, so it's, that's where you get the cleaner burn, a more controlled burn. It cleans up the upper chamber and the fuel injectors, so you'll be able to stretch out your uh, oil changes in time, less parts in, uh, in the pan. And, of course, if it's taking care of the water, you're not going to have an algae problem. So you, you, add, that, you add that to what you're doing, Glennon, and you put those two together, I mean, you've got a, a beautiful combination. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you Dave, know, you're in Illinois. Dave, you're in Illinois. Glennon, you're in Texas. Y'all need to, y'all need to hook up 
And uh, because I'm, if Ricky Gooch sent sent you over, Dave, then uh, uh, you know that's uh, that's trustworthy enough for me because he he's a good man. Ricky's a, a great guy. Been I've known Ricky for a long time. I've learned a lot from Ricky, and uh, I agree. I agree totally. I, I wanted and, um, to ask. Um, what is the increased performance on the kit, number one? And number two, how long will it take someone to uh, insert it in their truck or vehicle? Okay. I think you can. Very good question, Donna. The uh, the installation time with with someone that knows you know a little bit about tinkering on trucks and whatnot, it's going to take them about forty to five minutes to an hour to install it. So okay. it's really quite simple. Uh, you don't really have to make any modifications of the engine. You, you're, the, the hardest is probably finding a spot to actually attach the two, uh, the one or two, whichever truck size you, you have, uh, containers that hold the distilled water that is uh, eventually turned into steam and enters your combustion chamber. And, and if someone didn't, um, what is the increase? Uh, on your oh, fuel mileage. Yes, yes, that's a good question. The um, the increase will vary. There are a lot of uh, uh, a lot of work has gone on in the engine manufacturing to make the engines more and more efficient. Uh, this this little uh, device actually likes loaded engines. So if you're carrying a load, it gets better results. If you're running empty it gets less results. So if you, you know, you would think that you could just say, well, it's half and half. Well, it's really not because truckers, by the nature, they have to, they run in a business, they have to stay loaded. So hopefully you run loaded 75, 80% of the time, right? So I hate to be kind of vague about it, but we've gotten uh, as much as 28 29 percent and as small as eight percent so well eight percent really isn't very small though i mean well, no, when you're talking about you know a three or four hundred dollar bill a day on diesel for a truck that's running hard right it adds up very quickly oh yeah oh definitely uh even a mile more <laughs> on your trip you know, is uh, is unbelievable. Uh, you know, I've got a lady here actually looking at her friend of mine who uh, hauls jet engines, and, uh, you know, she's been using it for quite a while now, and uh, she, on one of them, she gets uh, just in fuel savings now because she's been running the product for a while. So, you know, and it's going to the, it's not your, it's not your miracle necessarily overnight thing. It's got to get in your engine set up, do all those things I was telling you about, so you can, you know, experience uh, the maximum efficiencies over time. So you might, you might, uh, you're going to probably feel some extra power and a, and a smoother running engine as it starts cleaning the water out. But your your bump for miles per gallon, you might not see till seven, you know, six uh, fills down the road, uh, that that sort of thing. Uh, but then, uh, you know, in her case, she's talking about eight hundred and twenty-two dollars uh, a month back uh, on just the one tractor and uh, you know you you look at this and you go no way <laughs> and the kit varies from that mr knox <laughs> my kit my gives you immediate results right that's I mean, what i like about soon, that that's where we need to put it on <laughs> it's working right so we need to I maybe, wanted to uh, ask, 
I wanted to ask Glenn um, if someone didn't want to um, bother, you know, maybe they're not, you know, they're a little challenged mechanically or something, you know, and I know there's a lot of people who don't want to mess with hooking it up. They're afraid, you know, they won't do it right after they invest the money, um, which is another question. I wanted to ask you how much it was. But do you have a, a service where someone will install the kit for them? I have a couple of uh, uh, mechanics here in Texas. Uh, I don't have a, a nationwide network. However, almost any mechanic can install this, and it will take them an hour or less. So, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the going rate for a mechanic is. The last time I took my truck in, I think it was, you know, just short of $100 an hour. But so... <clears throat> That that's what I would expect, though, that someone could put it on for, you know, basically $70 to a hundred dollars in that range without any kind of issue. Okay. And the other question was, I noticed on um, Facebook, you had a one month trial. Are you still doing that? I absolutely am. And if they will mention that they've uh, they they got it from Alan or Donna or Truth About Trucking or this blog, I'll. For through August, I will also discount twenty percent. That's huge. Okay, well we'll uh, we'll put that out then on our Facebook page for you. Yeah, and again, your website your website is econokittexas.com, correct? Yes, sir. That's exactly right. And Dave, are you in the chat room uh, to to put your link out for your product also? Well, I got to dig around there. It's my first time on, so I got to I got to look at this and, and see where it's at and everything in there. So I'm I'm sure I'll I'll find it here once we get off the phone. But uh, I certainly appreciate everybody you know everybody's time here, and uh, Glendon, uh, perhaps we can hook up because I've of, often thought that there would be a, an excellent opportunity uh, for something like with what we have that will extend the engine life and help in all those areas. And then take something that put it together with something like yours. I mean, it would be a matter of finding somebody that has one of those units that you have and getting them to do a, a test, a baseline with right. uh, XP3, and let's see what we can come up with. So uh, let's hook up and, and everybody. Okay, thank you well, again. Uh, Glendon B at EconomicKitTexas.net, uh, Mr. Knotts. Glendon uh, B. And I think if you're on, then you'll see how to spell my name and just add a B at econokittexas.net. You can send me an email, and, you know, I'm pretty open-minded. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten into this business. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be. All right. Do everybody. you want to give your phone number, Glendon? Yeah, sure. My phone number is area code 817-907-7048. And I welcome any uh, any. any truckers out there that would like to uh, put a trial on, uh, the more data I have, the better off I'll be. Well, you know, just let me add, you know, we have uh, Carl and Linda Smith in the chat, and uh, uh, they put up there, EconoKit is a huge help, but takes a little time to set up. I know a few drivers who run it and would, would not go back. And, you know, the thing about drivers, I've been in the industry a long time, the thing about drivers is they're... Uh, uh, they're not the the greatest ones to to jump in and be trustworthy of everything, you know, because everybody seems to have their hand out on drivers. But we've heard a lot about uh, your kit, 
Glendon and checked on it. We've we've seen the data and and everything. And I think the serious owner operator and those serious fleet owners out there. I mean, if they're really serious about saving money and having more profit, uh, I would just suggest that they really need to check you know to check your kit, EconoKitTexas.com. And uh, Dave, yours as well, because I know you have the data and everything to back up what you're saying. And it's all about saving money and being more profitable. So, uh, you know, glad to have you all on the show and help get that information out there. Well, thank you very much. much. Thank you very much, Alan. Well, you all hook up and uh, keep in touch and let us know what what happens. You bet. Thank you. We'll do that. Take care. Hey, are you guys guys signed up for the convention yet? I, I, I am not. I have uh, a lot of things going on uh, with some uh, trials that I'm doing on a uh, national uh, company. I'm I'm helping them install on quite a few trucks, so I'm I'm tied up. Okay, that's okay. Would, I'm just trying to see if I'm going to get to meet you or not. Um, and well, how about you, know, Dave? I know Ricky's going. Are you going to be going with him? Uh, when when's the date on those again? October twenty seventh and twenty eighth. Uh, I will. I will check. I know that I have a team down in Arkansas that's uh, going to be doing some shows. Some people that are you know, on my team, and I have to check with them to see what they're doing before I make any commitments. But I certainly uh, do need to get down to one of those and, and meet up with you guys for sure. Yeah, it would be nice because um, we talk to so many people on the social media sites, and I'll be honest with you. I mean. We've got like over, you know, if you combine them all, it's like, you know, 15,000 people. And it's so difficult, you know, to remember. How could you possibly remember everybody? (laughs) And uh, it's so nice, I have to tell you, when you finally get to meet people that you've conversed with so many times. It's it's really, really nice, and I I think uh, that's... That's one of the best things uh, about it is just, you know, being able to socialize for two days with people you've spoken with. And then you don't forget. Then you see the name and all of a sudden, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Uh, Thank you you so much for that, Donna. And you are absolutely right about social media. It's really the way to market. And I would, if anything opens up, I would love to meet you and uh, Alan there. Oh, absolutely, and uh, Dave, too, and, uh, you know, everybody, everybody that we talk to on uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, it's uh, it's a wonderful experience, and it's it's really hard to describe it uh, because you can't. You've got to experience it, so uh, hopefully something will come up with the two of you, and we'll get to say hi. Yeah, well, if, if you all can make it, we'll look forward to it. If not, uh, maybe the next year. That's right. Well, okay, we're not going anywhere anyway, so uh, we'll be in touch. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Thanks again, Thanks again guys, and um, uh, we'll follow up on that. You know, you know, Donna, we, t- you know, we talk a lot to owner-operators and even small fleet owners, and, uh, you know, being a driver myself for so long, I mean, I can understand the, uh, uh, the standoffish, you know, type attitude because, you know, they – they they just they just get hit from all sides, but you know sometimes you just got to lay that aside and really look at a product like this Econo kit and uh, you know the additive Dave's talking. You know they the way I look at it, you know as long as they can provide the data and the research and the paperwork that you know shows shows you know the accuracy and what they're saying is is true, which is what appears to be the case here. 
um, it's it's only you know makes business sense. Oh, here's the thing: when you're going to give a one month trial, in yeah, Oakland, like um, like Glenn is uh-huh. for the Econo Kit. I don't know. I mean, I've never driven a truck in my life, but I would say, wow, if that can save me twenty percent, I think I'm going to go for the trial. <laughs> well, well, that's massive, you know. And I mean, you know, I was an owner operator fourteen years. I, I was always looking for ways to, you know, cut costs, cut expenses, increase that bottom line, and you know, going back a ways. Uh, they didn't have they didn't have all the stuff that's you know that's coming up now, and. Uh, and uh, like that kit, did he say how much the kit was? Well, you know, I don't think he did, but I saw on his uh, website that there's uh, a two hundred and sixty dollar kit and a three hundred and sixty dollar kit. Okay. And I'm not really, um, you know, I'm not sure the difference, uh, but people can just either go on the Facebook page Let's... or um, or his website, Econo Kit. Texas.com. Yeah, but see, that's really reasonable. I mean, you know, if you if you're if you're throwing something out there, you know, fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred bucks, I can, you know, I could see. But two, three hundred bucks, and if you, I would need a mechanic to put it on, just to mainly to make sure that it's done correctly. So you throw in another hundred bucks, but you're you know you're looking at a a, a good substantial increase in your fuel mileage. To me, it. it it's just good business sense, and the reason so many owner operators fail um, is because they won't they won't sit back and look at the this kind of technology, and even such as the um, the additive that Dave was talking about, they they just won't sit back and look at this and say, okay, I'm I'm just going to really check this thing out and see if it works and does what they say they can do because I'm a business person and the whole thing behind business is to uh, to make profit. Well, and there's another thing with the um, additives, though. There are so many of them. Yeah. And number two is uh, there's a lot of people that are already happy with what they have. And you know the old old saying, if it ain't uh, broke, don't fix it. Or, right. So I think, you know, they don't have the urgency to try something new. So... I think that's something uh, with the additives. However, with the kit, this is this is like a one-time deal. You hook it up, and then you know there's no continual monthly um, expense. So I, I don't know. I mean, that when I saw that free trial he had, I was like, wow. That's, yeah. I mean, I don't know. How yeah, you, and you can contact them uh, at Econo Kit. Texas.com, telling you heard a, heard about it from us or on the uh, Truth About Trucking Live show, and he'll throw in another 20%, and I think he just jumped back here on the line. Glendon, is that you? Uh, yes, Alan, it is. I, I heard you talking about the uh, price of the kit, and there was a little bit that I wanted to clarify there. Okay. Um, trucks over 350 horsepower, and there's a, quite a few of them out there, are going to require two of the pro units at $350 each. So that expense is a little bit more. It's $700, but when you're saving $45, 50 a day, it really just doesn't take long to pay that off. No, so no. And I, on, I, yeah. I had a feeling you know, it might have something to do with the horsepower, but, but that's still reasonable. Does. I mean... 
it does. Each so, engine is going to draw more air into the intake, but due due to the size of the engine itself and what it needs to to uh, actually explode that burn. So, the more air it draws in, the more uh, of the steam it's actually going to require to to make that efficient. Right. Okay. Well, I appreciate you clarifying that. Yeah, yes, you want to give the number you. out one more time, Glenn? Uh, yeah, I'll give my number out one more time. It's 817-907-7048. I'm at Texas.net com would be my website. And you could contact yeah, I'd like- me in any of those ways. Okay, I'd like to hear from some more people the, uh, that have used that, too, um, because that's just really, um, that's just amazing to me. I was pretty impressed when I uh, when I saw the website. Yeah, I've had so. some uh, recent uh, uh, trials uh, beginning with uh, uh, your social network. Uh, and I've, I've had uh, uh, two or three contact me, and we're setting up some trial units right now okay sounds great well we appreciate it thanks for calling in thanks all right thanks again uh yeah i had a feeling it might have something to do with the with the horsepower so you know if you're out there running one of those big peats out there you'll have two but it's just like he said donna and you know any any owner operator fleet owner anybody who's been in the business long enough knows that st- that still is a very reasonable price and like he said it's not going to take long to uh, to make that money back so to me to me it's just common business sense you know we hear a lot don about people that just not making it you know and and you know for whatever reason or not but these are the kind of things that social media can help get the information out there because if they would just uh if they would just sit back and really check these things out, uh, these are all the options that, that are available today that weren't 10 years ago that can increase that bottom line on their business. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, social media really is is the absolute way that people are going now. Uh, years ago, it was, you know, you just put up a website and you spend tons of money on advertising and then take people to your website. Now it's um it's all about openness and honesty, transparency. You get you I mean social media is free uh, pretty much, you know, you you open up a Facebook page, you get on LinkedIn, Twitter, and if people have questions, they ask you directly. And according to how uh, honest you are with your uh, with your product, you can have a regular dialogue for everybody, for thousands of people to see. And by that, people then go to your website out of curiosity. You know what's going on? Everybody's talking about this this wonderful product. So it it pretty much. I mean, you might not totally want to eliminate all your advertising, uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, you can get an awful lot word of mouth uh, using social media. So it's it's a pretty exciting time right now. Well, it's a pretty powerful thing. You know, we were just looking at, uh, uh, you know, com. you know, the manufacturer of the Dynasys APU. They've launched the socialcbradio.com website, 
which is a, a social media RSS feed. Um, it's kind of funny, but what they say is true that it, the social media has kind of taken become the wave of the future. It's kind of taken over the uh, the old CB radio too. So uh, that's something of interest for for everybody who might want to check that out at socialcbradio.com. But just another form of uh, of just the power of social media, and you know, it's, it's still just the wave of the future. More to come. Oh, and I'll tell you, um, the people who go on, you know, who are really serious about it and, you know, they're seeing results. But I'll tell you, there's uh, companies, and I see it on um, on Twitter, I see it on Facebook, that there, there'll be interaction. And as soon as someone uh, will say, you know, bring up an uncomfortable question or say something negative, um They'll delete them. They'll delete the comment. Yeah. That's going to really hurt a lot of companies out there. You have to be open and honest. I mean, we're not talking about somebody being nasty because, I mean, we delete nasty comments all the time. You know, if somebody, you know, says something about someone else that isn't, you know, really nice or curses or something like that. But I'm talking about if somebody addresses an issue uh, with your product and if you can't, uh, address that issue with them openly, that's going to really hurt you because people watch that. So this is the new wave. It's it's all about transparency, and uh, uh, I think it's going to weed out uh, a lot of people in the social media world who don't want to be transparent. I see that a lot. Well, they don't want the confrontation, but it's, uh, uh, but it's those um, disagreements that get that opens the lines to discussion to reach a solution. Exactly. So you have to have those discussions. That's what it's all about. And and you might end up still disagreeing in the end, but, you know, that's just not everybody's going to agree on everything. But it opens, it opens up the transparency like you always talk about. It opens up the uh, conversation, and it gets, every, it, it gets everything rolling where at least the topic can be discussed. And if a solution is resolved, great. If not... Uh, you go on your own way and you agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you, I mean, I've, I've experienced it personally with, um, I have addressed people on Twitter that, um, <clears throat> you know, were advertising certain things. And uh, between me and you, I knew it was uh, a bunch of malarkey. So I addressed it. They never, They never answered me back. Well, people who know us you know, will see that. And, uh, you know they're they're going to wonder. Oh well, how come that that company didn't answer her back? Oh yeah. You see what I mean? Oh, it's a dangerous dangerous thing to do. You know. So you know if if you're not willing to be transparent out there, you better get off of social media because it's going to turn around. And well, hey, you know the it reminds me. What was that funny thing about Shell? Oh well, I don't I don't can't think what. Yeah, you know, they on Twitter and they wanted some they wanted Oh, they, that was that was hysterical. It wasn't really Shell. It was somebody impersonating Oh. Okay, well that was just that was just wrong then. They were oh, it was I mean, I can't remember I the, thought it was Shell. No, no, they were impersonating. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, the, it, it can come up and bite you like that too. Yeah, so they were really uh, having a ball there making you know, making kind of I think what it was is they were talking about um, 
the Antarctic, the Antarctic or the Arctic, and right. the drilling. And they were pretending they were Shell, and they were, you know, making all these comments. But anyway, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. Oh, man, that was something else. Well, well uh, uh, listeners on the line, no hands up right now, Donna. It's just me and you. So, uh, you know, I did mention in in the show description, uh, I threw the old Mexico cross-border trucking program up there to get things started. So, there's still an opposition to the program, but the FMCSA continues to defend it. But as I point out in the show's description, it just hasn't taken off. So was, so I, you know, I'm just wondering, was all the trucking news just a whole lot of hype that got truckers riled up over nothing, or, or did the opposition from uh, OIDA and even a little bit from ATA work? I mean, what do you think? Um, well, I think personally, I, you know, everybody was up in arms about it. Um, I, I'll be honest. I, I was reading this uh, this post here in the chat room. And well, well, you know, like I point out there, you know, when that pilot program for the uh, cross border trucking opening to Mexico first started, uh, there was all the talk about you know the the U.S. was going to be bombarded by all these trucks and drivers from Mexico and taking away all these jobs from American drivers. And one show we had on, uh, I just happened to kind of throw out that, you know, personally, I just never really saw that happening. And, and boy, I got it from all sides. But here we are, July 26, 2012, and only four Mexican trucking companies have gotten their authority. Nine are pending. And that's it. And with a total right now of uh, five five drivers uh, coming into the U.S., so it kind of went bust. And even a while back, I remember FMCSA was was uh, considering canning the whole thing. Well, you know, I always I always thought that um, the cross border was, and this is my opinion now. And anybody who wants to jump in, please do so. But um, I always thought it was more for the uh american companies uh in set up in mexico with uh, a mexican you know company name and everything that it would just help them to hire drivers out of mexico to uh cross the border without having another truck pick up the uh the load and then uh you know change drivers and all like that so you know i still think that uh, and I, I do wish uh, Rich Wilson was on the show right now because we had extensive conversations uh, about this, and I can't remember um, if he had agreed. I want to say I think he did agree, but I, I think that's the only people I think who are benefiting. In other words, you know, you get uh, – I'm not sure of who's set up down there. Um, let's say uh, – you know, Schneider might be set up down there. Swift, I believe. Swift. So they hire a driver, and then they don't have to uh, change anything at the border with another driver. Just uh, bring it up here and then, uh, uh, you know, come on back down. Uh, I, I don't know. Does that sound feasible to you, that that's who's probably benefiting? Probably more, but my whole point is, and, and I uh, I kind of got pulled into uh, jumping on the bandwagon there for a while, and I backed off because I just looked at it more, and I, I still just don't, I still don't think it's going to be a, a, 
a big a big deal and uh when you're talking about uh the uh TCA the truckload carriers association reporting a shortage of 200,000 drivers and probably uh some somewhat some truth to that because we've talked about qualified drivers before um I I just I I still don't see it so I would probably tend to agree with you it was more about the American companies being established down there because remember that show we had and the guy from Mexico called in and he was telling us that uh, Mexican drivers don't even want NAFTA and they don't even want to come over here Yeah we had a huge show Yeah and that was a uh, NAFTA James Linden in Norway who's in the chat room and man haven't seen her seen him in a long time glad to have you James but yeah he was on the show but this was this was the guy in Mexico called into the show and was our guest and was saying they don't want it they don't want to come here and here it is been this long and only four companies have their FMCSA authority so I still I still say like I did before that I just don't see it being a big thing and and uh with all the freight and everything and uh, I, I just don't see it hurting so i was hoping uh uh more of an expert on the issue would call in but yeah we'll just keep on i just thought i'd throw it out there and get your thoughts on it um well i'm i'm reading um i'm reading the comments that are going on in the uh in the uh, in the chat room, and I sent a little message to. What are they saying, Alan? You're stupid. No, <laughs> no. Well, but you know, it... I'll kick them off of there. <laughs> okay, it starts. James says the transporter trucking program is one-sided. It allows U.S. companies who hire domestically to move freight into the interior uh, Mexico by establishing hubs on the other side. Given the cabotage laws are extremely vague for U.S. employed Mexican drivers to move freight into the U.S. Yeah, we've talked about the cabotage laws, which are being broken, you know, right now anyway. So, uh, and then he goes, um, and then people are joining in. Uh, Carl and Linda Smith said, I personally used to do Mexico crossing, and I honestly never had a problem with it. Most of the time, we would switch out trailers or make short in-town deliveries in Juarez. Uh, most drivers only come into break-down terminals. So, and this is all going on in the chat room as, as you know, they're discussing what we talk about. Um, I did invite James to call us up on uh, on uh, Skype because I'm sure he's got a lot to say um, about it. But he's in Norway, so... That might not be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do have one number that popped up here, but it's all ones. That's usually an international number, and uh, I usually don't answer those because we've gotten. Uh... But he he says in the chat room that's him. Oh, is that James? Yep. Okay, everybody. James Linden's phone number is one 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 one. Okay, so. Uh... Uh, I usually stay away from those numbers because they kind of <laughs> come up and bite me sometimes because I know it's international. But James Linden, all the way in Norway. Welcome, welcome to the show, James. Good to be back on again. How are you guys? I'm good. What's uh, what's the weather like in Norway? I always ask that. Oh man, since 2008, the summers have been horrible and the winters are very, very cold. I mean, we got down uh, this last winter to minus 30 Fahrenheit. 
So well, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty bad. <laughs> it's it's 91 degrees here right now. Yeah, doesn't right, that make you? I'm jealous. <laughs> I, I hate you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, go go ahead. I know you're uh you're you're really up on this uh, uh, Mexico cross border thing. What do you think? Well, you know, you have to go back to the root of it with NAFTA. Um, we had that show with William Arrocha and Diego Delgado, and William Arrocha was part of the drafting of NAFTA. Um, and specifically, it talks about the uh, burden of underdevelopment. Uh, the whole premise of NAFTA was to remove uh, trade tariffs going into Mexico and vice versa. However, the problem was is that uh, the burden of underdevelopment uh, what, the, what William Arrocha was talking about, and the fact that uh, they weren't prepared for the uh, the ripple effect or the o- overextending consequences of NAFTA. Uh, for instance, it, uh, it allowed the U.S. Uh, subsidized uh, grain to be moved in to uh, to Mexico, especially corn, um, where local farmers couldn't compete uh, in Mexico. You know, indigenous farmers, and it, it displaced a lot of people. And we also amended, I think it was the 21st or the 22nd Amendment of, the, of their constitution that allowed the government granted lands, the Hilos, to be uh, sold uh, by these people. And therefore, we created an influx of illegal immigration. Um, not only that, um, you got to remember, the way it works in Mexico is not the same way it works in the States. But the problem is, is that, you know, although there are a lot of U.S. Uh, companies that are setting up hubs or setting up uh, businesses in the U.S. Uh, in, in Mexico, the entity, even though it's originally founded by a U.S. company, the investment was made by a U.S. company, once in Mexico, it's a Mexican company. And uh, the, also there's also exploitations of double taxation law when it comes to uh, the double taxation treaty that we have. Um, for instance, uh, for example, we have uh, in Mexico, there, we have invoices like you have in the States. And the invoices have a, uh, a, a thing called a cedula, which is an invoice, number controlled invoice that they have for the, the, the purposes of businesses. However, for logistical purposes and for deliveries of goods, whether it be domestically or whether it be internationally, there's also a, a document uh, called a remisión, a remission form which is basically a promissory note to fill an order under an invoice. However, you know, a Mexican company can establish an American uh, bank account and pay taxes uh, to the Mexican IRS, which is, uh, and the the thing is is that the the margin of corruption is relatively high. For instance, if you pay off an IRS official, equivalent to an IRS official in Mexico, Hacienda, um, you you can keep your cost relatively low have a U.S. bank account, which on paper looks like you, you paid your taxes in Mexico and therefore your tax exempt in the U.S. So the, the whole purpose is not to facilitate Mexican uh, trucking companies. However, <laughs> it, it was to facilitate the ability for large American companies to monopolize on the international logistics trade uh, between Mexico and the United States. And the unfortunate thing is that the cabotage laws uh, for the NAFTA agreement are relatively vague. Um, so there, there's really no set parameters when it comes to that. And there can also be abuses on that end, which would limit a bunch of people, uh, and especially owner-operators in the U.S., um, from being able to basically have a, a limitation of a 36-hour round trip um, between the international trading hubs um, that Mexican drivers are able to move, but we we know for a fact, you know, we have sources that that have verified 
that they're not going to international trading hubs, that they're actually making deliveries to domestic U.S. hubs. So it's, it's a very big issue. I mean, it encompasses many variables. And the problem is, is that it, it really doesn't uh, – you can't put the scope uh, focused on one specific uh, program or, or initiative. You have to look at it as, at as an entire animal. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a big, big um, farce. I mean, it, it, uh, it marginalizes not only the people in Mexico, but it definitely marginalizes the, uh, the, the industry, the production industry in the U.S. So, and, and, and what I find interesting is that, you know, NAFTA was supposed to help our GDP, but after the implementation of NAFTA, our GDP has gone down. I mean, we, we don't even come close to breaking even on our, on our exportations of gross domestic product uh, into Mexico. So it, it's something to think about. It's something to think about. You know, uh, it, it's, uh, it, the trans-border is not for Mexicans. The trans-border uh, trans trucking or the cross-border trucking program is definitely for the a large American company. And that's basically what you were saying, Donna. What uh, what time is it in Norway right now? Uh, right now it's uh, two twenty-five in the morning. Tomorrow, twenty-seven. <laughs> that's what I thought. I thought you were six hours ahead of us. So, Donna, that's kind of basically what you were saying is more largely for the American companies. Um, well, that that's just what what I thought, and I think uh, that was pretty much. If anybody wants to really listen to the archives, we had a show <clears throat> discussing this. What was it, James? You were on that show what, about a year ago, was it? Yeah, uh, it was about a, a little over a year ago. I would say. We even have the transcript of that show. That's one. I think the only show that we actually bothered to get a transcript because we had a gentleman from California that was Dr. Arocha, right? Yeah, the, 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 the university professor. And then we had uh, Diego Delgado from, uh, from Mexico, and then we had you from Norway. So we had all over the place, so we did get a transcript because sometimes you couldn't, uh, you couldn't really hear it uh, that well. Uh, but anyway, it was a it was a great show, and I think you know pretty much everything that we went over uh, kind of confirmed. I mean, I remember them saying that the farmers are really suffering because of NAFTA, the Mexican farmers. Right. And right. Um, it was it was it was really a, a, an eye opener for a lot of people. But you know, like so many other things. It gets put to the back burner, and uh, you know all the other concerns. Well, this is, I guess, this is why we're seeing James after so long that only uh, that on, only four companies have gotten their uh, FMCSA authority anyway. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good start for them to try to be politically correct and look good, and, and also to try to appease Canacat, which is the, uh, the Mexican trucking lobby in Mexico. So right now they're just. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a pony show. I mean, it's not really anything uh, significant when you really look at it for what it is. Well, you know, like I said, FMCSA was even considering dumping it. I mean, what do you see as the future for uh, this uh, border program? What do you see well, coming? Uh, you know, I, I think I, I, if you look at it objectively, I think that the the entire premise of the free trade agreement itself should be discarded it should be torn up and and not even implemented having uh regular trade um 
just having standard trade with companies, even though there, there are tariffs, it would increase our GDP. And, and I think that's, uh, that's necessary. Then we would go back to the old model that we used to have that, uh, you know, American drivers would drive to hubs on the border towns and, and then Mexican drivers would do the cross-border, uh, you know, transportation of, of those goods. And, and that's, I think that's a more tangible, sustainable thing. Um, as far as the trans-border, um, it depends on how much the, uh, the you know, the, the special lobby is going to be uh, pumping money into to keeping their interest in, and sustaining their monopolies. And yeah, I mean, because, I mean, we, we should note to everybody that, uh, just in case they don't know, I mean, you're in Norway right now. I've been living there for a while, but, uh, you're, I mean, you were from Mexico. You still have friends and family and relatives in Mexico, so you have a, a, a stronger hold on this than most. Well, you're from Texas, though. From Texas. I mean, you're, James is an American citizen, but yeah. got family and has family and every and friends and and uh, business owners and and you know that in Mexico. So you've got a you've got a bigger and you talk to them a lot. So you have a bigger handle and understanding on this whole thing. But, and I lived in Mexico, and my company owned a very large print. My family owned a, a very large uh, printing company, and um, and so you're. I was directly. I had a direct perspective on exactly how businesses run, the corruption within business, and also the logistical aspects of business because the the company that my family owned was an international company. So. Yeah, well, I, that's what I thought. I remembered, and so, so uh, do you think um, uh, millions of Mexican drivers are going to flood the U.S. market and take those jobs away from American drivers? I think I think there's going to be an influx of U.S. hired Mexican drivers that have hubs in Mexico uh, coming and monopolizing on the freight that's coming cross-border freight. Um, because I, I guarantee 99% of any owner-operator or small freighting company is not going to risk uh, taking their equipment or their employees into the interior of Mexico in order to conduct business. It's just not a simple oh, thing, especially with the current uh, situation, especially with the, uh, uh, the crime situation with the cartels. Oh, I agree. And, Donna, remember that one guy who uh, uh, he, was, he was just on YouTube having an interview. He, he was Mexican. He was from Mexico. He's over here in the U.S. now working legally. But he himself said he wouldn't go into Mexico. Mm-hmm. Oh, a lot of, of them said that. Yeah, I won't even go into the uh, past the uh, interior checkpoint from the Ciudad Juarez to go visit my family. I won't even the less I can even stay out of Juarez, the better. Um, as a matter of fact, ninety percent of my family that did live in Juarez is already living in the states because it's, it's gotten so bad. Well, and 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 they were talking about that a year ago. I mean, they said you know, I mean, a lot's going on now, <laughs> um, even with the tourists again. Is that New? I mean, is that a new trend well, going on? I mean, what's going there's still, on? There's still a lot of crime going on. I don't think we hear about it all, but every now and then it'll still pop up. But there's still a lot of crime going down there, going on well, down there, James. Tur- tourism is geographically uh, secular. I mean, it's um, when we're talking about the uh, cartel and, and the drug corridor. Um, you, you can't compare Cancun, Cabo San Lucas, and some other parts of Mexico, which have tourism, they protect the tourism there because that's what it, that's the influx of their local economy. They're not on the border. What 
makes things move on the border is the manufacturing, what well, was the manufacturing, which is no longer there because of the cartel violence. Um, but it's the, uh, it's the fighting of the cartels to, to control that corridor of uh, uh, influx of uh, narcotics coming into the U.S. So well, part of the tourism aren't safe. What's, what, what's happening to the tourists? Well, look, at no, nobody in their right mind is going to, like, before, back in the day, people used to, you know, the, the UTEP, University of Texas El Paso students would hop the border to go party in downtown Juarez, <laughs> you know? Nobody yeah. in their right mind goes there. I mean, uh, once 8 o'clock hits, winter or summer, it's a ghost town. Nobody's out driving, you know? And, it, and, and as a matter of fact, even during the day, I mean, you don't see the same congestion that you used to see when when things were operating uh, as they were. Um, so but that's what I'm saying. Geographically, those areas are secular. You can't compare Juarez to Cancun, for instance, or Alcapulco or Mazatlan. I mean, the, the government has uh, initiatives put into place to protect tourism because that's the industries for those geographical areas. You know, we're, we're talking about the border states, and, and unfortunately the border states from basically, you know, Chihuahua to Durango and, and Tamaulipas to Nuevo Leon, um, you, that's, the, that's the states you have to cross in order to, to get into the interior of Mexico. And unfortunately, those are the states that are, are seen the most in, in cartel violence. So it, it, it's just um, it's a very one-sided issue. I mean, there's, there's multiple facts that compound the situation. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, the people, what you're saying then is the people that this is happening to aren't in the protected areas, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. I mean, just to give an example, on the border, you know, uh, McAllen, Texas, and, and Brownsville, Texas, right between there, there's a little town called Westville, Texas, and on the border, there's a little town called Nuevo Progreso. Well, the majority, the economy of that town is basically the winter Texans or the winter birds that come uh, down from the north and get their medications and see their dentist and, and do their shopping. So if you go to that town, the entire town is surrounded by military. You go to Ciudad Juarez, it's not. And as a matter of fact, there's, there's a reason to believe that the cartels have, some, some have the judicial police on their side and some have the military on their side. Um... You know, it's, um, it, it, it gives you an example where tourism is. It's a border town. Nuevo Progreso Las Flores is a border town, but it's under uh, protection uh, of the army uh, to sustain its tourism. So, I mean, but they don't have the same, they don't have the same, uh, it, it's interesting that the, the Mexican government puts into place certain initiatives to protect certain industries. Uh, for certain areas uh, of the country, of the Republic of Mexico. However, it seems uh, odd to me that, you know, with, with such a presence, they can deter things from happening, but they don't, uh, they don't actually uh, do that on, uh, on their own accord for the other border towns that are suffering from cartel violence. Well, I guess we'll just, uh, you, know, you know what got me, got, got, what got me back on this uh, cross-border thing, James, was we had a, we have a, uh, a a driver in Mexico who signed up for the uh, convention in October, and he's never been to the U.S. It's going to be the first time he traveled. Well, you know this, you know, and uh, just so our listeners will know. But uh, and he contacted us because he was a, he was a little worried, a little you know, a little a little worried about coming over. He's never done it before, and 
Donna and I were the only people that he knew or <laughs> knew our names anyway. So that's kind of how I got all back on this border thing. I got to looking at it, trying to get caught up on it, see what was going on. And uh, <clears throat> I linked the uh, FMCSA site to the show where it shows you, uh, and it's updated weekly, by the way, the stats on how many companies have gotten their authorities, how many it, Mexican companies are pending and how many have been denied or withdrawn. So that's kind of how this whole thing came up for me. Yeah, I, I've been in contact with Roberto, and uh, he's uh, definitely looking forward to, uh, to coming uh, to the uh, convention. And um, he's, uh, he's barely getting to understand the, the different perspectives of the entire situation. Um, the consensus is that Mexico, they, they want to be able to, to operate freely in their own country. Um, you got to remember the perspective. You got to change your perspective on when you view Mexico and view Mexican people. To large corporations, Mexican people is is, is another commodity of the country. They're a commodity because they they're a workforce that they can tap into, and they can marginalize. And there's no repercussions for marginalization of that commodity or of that workforce. So uh, people want to be able to work under a fair market system. They want to be able to work under fair. Uh, with regulations that that uh, that impose fair practices, and the problem is, is that, um, like like they say, when when the U.S. has a cold, Mexico gets the flu. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know they, they they feel the repercussions of any type of legislation or regulations that uh, happen in the U.S. They they get trickled down into Mexico. Um, so you really can't. Um, they want to be able to work and make their money just like any, anybody else. You know, if we had a, a really a, a, a sustainable trade agreement, we wouldn't have an immigration problem, you know. Um, you know, back in the day when people would come and work the agriculture in, in, in California or, or, or in different states, they worked the agriculture. They used to have a program called Braceros where people would get their permits to come over and work during the, uh, the, the seasons of the farming season. And we had a good implementation for that, and people would go back, and they would be able to earn some dollars, go back and, and sustain their families and, and do what they do on their own property or their own land, and they come back and earn a little extra money, and, and it was sustainable. Um, but unfortunately, uh, because of our trade policies that we have with Mexico, the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, in conjunction with uh, SAFCA, um, it marginalizes people and it's displacing people, and we're creating an influx of illegal immigration. So people, really, well, if people well, had a choice, they wouldn't want to come to the states. Yeah, that's what we've heard from them. You know, I, I made a post on AssetTrucker.com. It's titled "FMCSA Hours of Service Compared to Other Countries," and according to my research uh, in, in Mexico, I wrote. Um, where the U.S. rules are established through the governmental body of the FMCSA, the rules for truck drivers in Mexico are established by a constitutional mandate, meaning that it falls under the country's labor laws. And my understanding, what they have in Mexico, they have a ma and this is for all workers, not just truck drivers, all workers, a maximum work week of 48 hours without going into overtime, and the average work week is uh, 40 to 45 hours. They're entitled to one day of rest with full pay for every six days of work. There's three work shifts, day shift, night shift, and mixed shift. And uh, the day shift is eight hours. The night shift is seven hours. The mixed shift is seven and a half hours. And hours worked over these periods are considered overtime, and pay is doubled but cannot exceed nine hours per week. Uh, 
Does that sound and, right to you? Yes, because if you look at the manufacturing sector in Mexico, uh, they have to abide by those labor laws, um, and there's actually unions that represent the workers in that. you got to remember, Mexico by nature is a socialist country, and those socialist implementations are reflected in the work workforce. However, however, uh, the distinction is made uh, predicated on skilled labor. For instance, if, if, a, if a person is um, working for an individual in construction, for instance, um, well, usually those things are not regulated. Anything that has to do with uh, industry is regulated, um, but the, in the private sector, um, that's usually not regulated. So there is a, there is a vast marginalization of, of people in Mexico. Um, but what I find more interesting is that U.S. truck drivers are not considered skilled labor, <laughs> and, right. uh, yeah. and are exempt from those and are exempt from those considerations as being skilled labor. However, you do have to take a course. You have to spend a year uh, under, you know, uh, learning to drive. And there's, there's other applications for you to become a truck driver. But uh, yet again, you don't fall under the classification of a, of a skilled uh, labor in the U.S. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I go around and around with that thing all the time. I just thought it was real interesting when I started diving into Mexico and their and their labor laws. Because, uh, I mean, there's, you know, U.S. organizations here that's always yelling out that, you know, Mexico has no HOS hours and, and you know, they can do anything they want and they do all this and that. And But, but when you really research it, that's not really the case. I mean, there's no well, HOS rule, but they fall under that constitutional mandate like I was talking. So I, I've, I found it real interesting once I started diving into it, and, and I, I've find that uh, there's still a lot of misconception here in the U.S. about the uh, the truck driver working hours in Mexico, which uh, really doesn't solely pertain to truck drivers, but pertains to all employees of Mexico. Well, exactly. And in Mexico, also, what I find interesting, for instance, is that uh, through their companies um, and through the, the social reforms that they have there, they have... Uh, you know, cooperative initiatives for people to buy homes, like in Fonavit, the program of in Fonavit, where people can actually uh, purchase, they, they buy into this co-op, and which uh, they get subsidized, and they're able to purchase their home. Um, you know, the, it, it's interesting because, you know, in, on one hand, it's really great. It, I would be predicated on the industry that you're in, and on the other hand, you can be totally marginalized and abused, you know? Right and and you do see you do see those uh, abuses happen all the time. Um, however, in, in the manufacturing sector, especially in the automotive industry, uh, there's pretty uh, strict uh, adherence to to uh, labor practices when it comes to that. Yeah, well, I just think it's interesting. I think more people are riled up over the uh, the influx of uh, you know illegals crossing the border, uh, but then we. Uh, and, and the violence and all that stuff, and then we get a we get a little talk from the Mexican president about how we should control our guns. Uh, that comes from the uh, the recent uh, shooting in in uh, Colorado at that movie theater. But I thought it was interesting that the president is pre- the Mexican president is preaching to us about we need to control our guns, and uh, <laughs> we have these illegals coming across here constantly. Well, you know, you got to remember the cartels and, and the criminal element in Mexico is not armed by the Fast and the Furious 
<laughs> by the exactly by the ATF. They're armed by the Mexican military and police, and because the Mexican military and police are corrupt. I mean, uh, they're they're the ones that that are in bed with the cartels. I it, 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 I find it that's why I find it interesting that the Mexican military cannot combat these uh, uh, cartel organizations. You know, uh, but it has nothing to do with American sovereignty and their Second Amendment. As a matter of fact, uh, I posted a couple videos on Facebook specifically talking about the repercussions of the United Nations Small Arms Treaty when it talks about uh, what its real implications are. Um, and, you know, it, it really doesn't, it's just, a, it's just a socialist reform to try to, 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 try to uh, keep the people unarmed or to, to have legislation to impose on them on their rights of privacy in the United States and their rights to bear arms in the United States. See, I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment. I'm a very, I'm a very uh, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not a sovereign person, but I, I am a strict constitutionalist. I believe in the Constitution of the United States, and I believe in natural law. I believe that uh, people have the inherent right to protect themselves, and that's something that's a God-given right. Um, you know, that's something that uh, every person should have the right to. Um, but the uh, UN Small, Small Arms Treaty is basically uh, an initiative to try to disarm, uh, you know, people, uh, to try to disarm people and, and to allow more governmental control on a global scale of, uh, of a populace. And it really doesn't, uh, it doesn't, you know, it, 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 it begs to differ. You know, when, when people have different opinions on these issues. Um, Mexico is, is is a socialist country. You guys have to remember that it's a socialist country. It's a corrupt country. The United States is a corrupt country. We're more, we're a little bit better at keeping things quiet, but we're very corrupt in this case. And the majority of the corruption usually trickles down to other countries that we have, uh, you know, associations with, especially you know, trade with and, and whatnot. I mean, the largest gun pusher in the United in the world is the United States. You know, so it's, yeah. It's, well, I mean, I, mean, I know. I know corruption's in every government. You know, I, I, you, you got to feel for the people of Mexico, though. I mean, you know, they, um, uh, you know, there have been those politicians and and leaders down there who who have tried to stand up and fight the corruption and the guns and the violence, uh, but they only end up dead. So it's kind of hard to to sit back and and judge them on that because if I was down there and I had to fear for my life over there, I might just keep my mouth shut too. It's, it's a tough situation. Mexico makes the greatest argument for the Second Amendment that we have in the United States. I'm going to tell you why. You know, you got to remember when, when, when Mexico was under Spanish rule and there was a revolution, who fought them? It was the farmers, just like our revolution against the English. And they make the greatest argument for the Second Amendment and the, and the right for people to have and bear arms is – if the people were armed, do you think that the cartels would be able to, to hold fast in a certain geographical area? Hell no. There's no yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know, I hear you. Well, listen, uh, uh, time's running short here. Uh, uh, boy, glad to have your expertise back on here. Good to hear from you again. Yeah, likewise. I, I really miss you guys, and, and I'm sorry for uh, – not not being uh, as good as I should have been in, in staying in touch with y'all uh, more often. So, but uh, well, it's, it's only uh, been a, a week. Uh, we'll 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 let you slide. I'm gonna put you on the spot. So, okay. what what's the percent 
chance that you're coming from Norway again uh, to <laughs> city? Well, uh, that's going to be determined on the third. Uh, I still have to talk to the boss, my wife, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have to talk to my buddy Runa, the the fellow that came with me, the truck driver that came with me uh, from Norway. I'm going to go fishing with them up in the in the mountains, and uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna have a chat about it. And then um, I would say a, a sixty seventy percent chance. Oh, <laughs> we're looking forward to seeing you again. Yeah, uh, well, I, I really would love to go. Yeah, I know. I know it was expensive though, so you know, no pressure. So I mean, nor, nor, oh, it's not that expensive. Yeah, well, I know you would <laughs> shell out the money. <laughs> I know you, all the way from Norway. What's that? Four thousand miles or whatever it is. Oh uh, yeah, my, it, it got a little pricey for me because uh, we we had the dog with us, so Marco, the uh, mascot for the last convention, and. Uh, we uh, flew into New Jersey, drove all the way to Tunica from New Jersey, and then drove down to South Texas, right there in the Rio Grande Valley, and then uh, went to New Orleans, and then went to go visit y'all in uh, Florida, and then drove back to New Jersey. So it, it, it was a long trip. <laughs> <laughs> that was a big trip. Well, if you can well, make it, we'll look forward to it. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to streamline my uh, itinerary if I do go. I'll, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you make it to Florida, you got a free motel here. Yeah, I, I hear you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks for calling, and good to hear from you again. And uh, uh, boy, Don, I wish I, I wish I'd, I had half his brain. I, I heard, and I'm going to embarrass him a little bit, but um, James scored uh, perfect scores on his SATs in in high school. Oh well, of course. <laughs> So when he was at the convention, of course, he hooked up with Joe. The two of them were, you know, on the same page. <laughs> the the two Einsteins. Uh, so uh, anyway, yeah, he's a he's a smart guy, and uh, uh, he's a good guy, and he uh, always gives a lot of a lot of info. I, I put in the chat room. He's a walking encyclopedia. It doesn't really matter what you talk about. He knows everything about it. I know. <laughs> but it's really good. To, I'm glad he called in because uh, you know I'm I, I'm no I hadn't been keeping up with this cross border thing with Mexico and and he has so much knowledge about the country and the people and everything. So uh, well, the thing is, you keep up with it with what you read. Yeah. And he he keeps up with it from what he knows from. Um, Experience. His experience, his family, and the people he knows. So it's a whole different perspective than what we have. I know. Well, um, I guess we've made it through this two hours. We're we're winding down here. So uh, another show well done. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I I kind of uh, enjoy every now and then having the um, open forum because. You know, you get to just people just get to speak what's ever on their mind. However, we do have a really big show planned uh, for the 16th. Um, I'm I'm really excited about that one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's up on the schedule and everything, and uh, going to talk about the um, um, the uh, well, what's the word for it? I don't have it up here. The challenges that truckers face that uh senior editor Todd Deals over there at Overdrive Magazine surveyed a bunch of drivers to find out what their top list of challenges were that drivers face. So we're going to go through that report and find out what all he, what all he found out. I know, and uh, we did the survey uh, for them, and, boy, they mm-hmm. had a lot, of, 
lot of questions. I forgot who's coming. I think Jeff Clark is going to be coming on. Jeff Clark, uh, truck driver, owner-operator, I believe, of truckingsolutionsgroup.com, and uh, Tom Blake, who's a small fleet owner based out of Kansas City. And, of course, Todd Dills will be on the show. And Todd Dills of Overdrive. So that's the 16th. Uh, We might have another show before then. Uh, Big, big day coming up in six days on August 1st. That's Donna's birthday, so we may not be around for the show, but I'm sure everybody will understand. (laughs) And so um, a lot of issues flying around, but we will be back as soon as we can. So I guess that will do it for this broadcast. So uh, thanks for just a, about a minute left, Donna. You've got uh, anything you want to finalize with? Well, the only thing is I want to just mention the Missing Truck Driver Alert uh, Network, uh, www.missingtruckdriver.com. It's uh, gaining a lot of momentum. Uh, if to get an alert to your phone, uh, just go to missingtruckdriver.com, and the life you save by joining that could be a loved one. Or a friend, so uh, missingtruckdriver.com. Okay, sounds good. So that will do it for this broadcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, a lot of lines there. Appreciate you tuning in and listening, and all of those that I can't see listening from your computer, we appreciate you as well. And be sure to bookmark us and add us to your favorites, and be sure to follow the show so you'll be notified of our upcoming broadcast. We appreciate it. And so have a great evening, everyone, and until next time, on behalf of Donna and for Truth About Trucking Live, I'm Alan Smith, drive safe, and thanks for listening. I've been driving these rigs since 79, never got a ticket, never crossed the line. Dinner's on the table, but it's gonna get cold Gotta get going, I've got freight to load Well, I was running through Atlanta doing 58 A four-wheeler cut me off, so I slammed my brakes Well, the truck went left, but the trailer threw right And I saw my life flash before my eyes I'm just trying to make a living Running the road Loving my family from a cell phone Nobody understands Can't get no helping hand Lord have mercy on the The trucking brand I was fighting the wheel And the next thing I know I hit the sidewalk And over I go Falling so fast I had no time to scream Burning hot metal flying all around me Well I laid there for a minute living out of my head Not knowing if I was alive or dead Highway Patrol said let me give you a hand Then he laughed and said son you better check your pants Trying to make a living Running the road Loving my family From a cell phone Nobody understands Can't get no helping hand Lord have mercy On the The trucking brand Oh, oh, oh. 
tapping me and my burning rig. Checked out the damage that was done to the bridge. Feeling a little crazy and dizzy in the head. Barely heard the words that officer said. $10,000 fine and your CDL is gone. Better call your mama to come take you home. Three million miles and never a glitch. The four-wheeler only got a slap on the wrist. I'm trying to make a living running the road. Loving my family from a cell phone. Nobody understands, can't get no helping hand. Lord, have mercy on us. The trucking brand On the trucking brand Lord have mercy on the The trucking brand 